I'm Waverly. I'm one of our Elevate City kids, and I'm going to be reading our teaching text for today. But first, <laughs> but first, if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, go ahead and hold them up. We are people of the book. Our understanding of God is not shaped primarily by experience, tradition, popular opinion, or what we're comfortable with. Our understanding of God is the word of, is shaped by the word of God. This is our first source, final authority, and the greatest love story ever written. And the best part of all, it's true. Please take a moment to turn to your Bibles to Matthew 19, verses 13 and 14. Our scripture today is, Then the children were brought to him, that he may lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people, but Jesus said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belong the kingdom of heaven. Thank you. Come on, can you guys stand up? Can you stand on your feet and thank Waverly and all of our kids. Thank you, Waverly, for leading us through our teaching text. Amen, amen. All right, kids are gonna head back downstairs, but as they go, I want us, the church, to celebrate them, cheer them on, and thank all these Dream Team members that are serving in our kids' environments, that are leading the way. And our hope and our vision is that tonight that you would see a vision for kids the way that God sees kids, and that you would love kids the way that God loves kids, and that your heart would beat for the now generation believing that kids and students matter and they have impact and influence in our church, in our lives today. And tonight, as you're still standing on your feet, I'm just gonna put my cards out before you tonight. My heart tonight is that you would see kids the way that God sees them and tonight that you would have a heart for the little ones in our world, for the little kids that God is raising up and that you'd have a heart to wanna see little disciples being made, to see disciples being made in Jesus' name, that they would know Jesus and follow Jesus and lead others to do the same. And so as we kick things off tonight, just while you're still standing, I wanna read Psalm 145. Psalm 145, and we're gonna pray. God's word says, one generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. And they shall speak of your, right, of your might and awesome deeds. And I will declare your greatness. And they shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud. Someone say sing aloud. Sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. Let's pray. God, we're so grateful, God, for what you're doing in our kids. And God, we're so grateful for their little hearts. And God, may we remember moments like this of seeing our kids worship and seeing the old and the young coming to Jesus here in this place. And God, may we never lose sight of God, what it means to have a heart like a child, to see you and to know you and to care for you, to be curious about your greatness. And God, may we be a church that forever says, hey, we're gonna give, we're gonna send, 
We're going to prioritize in light of how you want to reach the next generation, kids and students. And so, God, we just pray a blessing over tonight. We pray a blessing over every single kid in our ministry and every single leader that's serving them. God, may you multiply what you're doing down there. God, may you stir in each of our hearts a desire tonight to want to be a part of Jesus, how you're moving in this place, in the little hearts, in the curious minds. And we pray that you just have your way with tonight. And we pray a blessing over this message and over this time. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. You can grab a seat. I love having to raise this up. That means that a kid was using it. Come on. Well, if we haven't met yet, my name is Joe, and I'm one of the pastors here. And if you're new to the Elevate City story, we have uh, a few weeks ago launched into a series, which is the launching place for a 10-year vision that we have for our church to be a part of a disciple-making movement that changes the world. And we have a heart for every stage of life to come to know Jesus and follow Jesus and lead others to do, this, to do the same. And we have this vision of just disciples who make disciples who make disciples being unleashed over the next 10 years to change the world forever. And so tonight, we're continuing in this series. We're going to be talking about what discipleship looks like over uh, the course of raising up kids to know Jesus. And tonight, we're continuing in initiative number seven out of 10 initiatives. And so if you're new and you've missed the past few weeks, I just want to encourage you and challenge you. Go back and watch the previous messages on YouTube because it's going to help to set the stage for where we are today and what we're going to be talking about. Today, though, as you can see, is all about kids and the kingdom. Kids in the kingdom of Jesus. Now, why would we place such a massive emphasis on kids and students with this 10-year vision? A lot of y'all, I, I know in this room, maybe you don't have kids yet, and you're, you're maybe a little curious. Why would we make this such a massive part of a 10-year vision? Well, the simple answer to that is because Jesus makes it clear that kids matter deeply in the kingdom of God. And they don't just matter once they grow up. No, no, no. They matter right here and right now while their feet are never still, while they still make messes all the time, all over the place, but while their hearts and their minds are filled with this beautiful curiosity. They matter right here and right now. And so to set the stage, we want to look in Matthew chapter 18. And in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus' disciples ask this big, bold, powerful question. And they're asking, who is the greatest Jesus in all of the kingdom of heaven? See, for them, they were trying to figure out what exactly they needed to do to be considered great in God's eyes. They're trying to figure out what steps they needed to take, how they could be a little bit more religious, a little bit more self-righteous to try to make it ahead. And they're asking this question. And as they ask this question to Jesus, Jesus begins to speak. And you can almost in this moment just see everyone starts to scoot forward to the edge of their seat. And they're just holding on, waiting for Jesus to say something brilliant. And what does Jesus say? Jesus says to the crowd, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, Unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And right before he says this, he brings a child before him. And so all of the focus and the attention is on him and this child. And he says, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. 
See, Jesus in that moment is completely shattering the status quo of the day. Because in that day, in that culture, children weren't seen as blessings, they were seen as burdens. Particularly in the Roman culture of that day, children were often abandoned. Women or girls were left out in the fields, abandoned to die. They weren't seen as valuable. They were seen as insignificant, as a burden to society. But what the rest of the world saw as an inconvenience, Jesus wanted to prioritize and show that they are incomparably valuable. See, we live in a world today that's obsessed with the self. Kids are oftentimes painted in our culture today as an inconvenience that can just be simply taken care of. We can let someone else raise our kids. We can distance them. We don't want our kids to distract us from achieving our goals and our desires in life. And and so we kind of distance them. And then we wonder why today there is a generation that is starving for attention, longing for attention. But Jesus, he speaks with this bold proclamation saying, I see kids as of utmost importance. He says, in my kingdom, kids matter immeasurably. And if you want to serve me, serve them. And if you want to love me, love them. And if you want to be like me, be like them. Paints this beautiful picture. He says, do you want to be great? Like we all want to be great. You here in this room, if I were to ask you, do you want to be great? We would all say, yeah, we want to be great. Greatness, we want to experience greatness. We want to be, we want to live a great life. Jesus says, if you want to be great, greatness is found in the heart of a child. So if you want to be great, surround yourself with kids. Have children, or if you're not able to, serve in our kids' ministry and do both. Or help us build a youth group and start by discipling one child because the heart of a child will unleash greatness in your life. Listen, I'm here telling you today that I'm a better man, I'm a better follower of Jesus, I'm a better husband, I'm a better friend, I'm a better employee, I'm a better leader, I'm a better everything because of how God is using kids, particularly my kids, each and every day to sanctify me and to make me look more like Jesus. Which is why if you ever ask me, hey, Joe, how can I pray for you? I'm going to say every time, patience. Patience is what you can pray for me. Patience with my kids. Serving with kids, it's not easy. Raising kids, it's not easy. But I'm here to tell you today that it's infinitely worth it. D.L. Moody, one of the greatest evangelists to ever live, it said that he preached to over 100 million people during his lifetime. And he is quoted to say near the end of his life, if I could relive my life, I would devote my entire ministry to reaching children for God. Like, why would he say that? I think because as he lived longer, he started to realize even at a more deeper level what Jesus had been saying all along. That if you prioritize kids, if you reach kids, you can actually change the world. And so with this X multiply vision, we want to change the world. And so we're going to start by changing some children's world over and over and over because kids are mission critical to multiplication. Kids matter deeply to Jesus. And because kids matter deeply to Jesus, they should matter deeply to us. And so back to our teaching text in Matthew chapter 19, we see it's shortly after Jesus had just told his disciples about how to become great. 
And then it says in Matthew chapter 19, beginning in verse 1, now when Jesus had finished saying these things, so he'd finished, told them, hey, this is how you become great, have a heart like a child, and he puts a child before them. And he goes off to Galilee, and he enters this region of Judea beyond the Jordan, and large crowds start to follow him, and he healed them there. And so this crowd forms, and people are getting healed left and right, but then all of a sudden, something happens. It seems as if his disciples had forgotten what Jesus had just said, because in verse 13, it says, Then people brought little children to Jesus to place his hands on them and to pray for them, but the disciples rebuked them. But the disciples rebuked them. Now, if I'm Jesus right here, I'd be like, what? What is happening? Do you guys not realize what I just talked about? Like people are starting to bring kids to Jesus after he had just told them how valuable kids are. And the disciples are like, no, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on. Jesus doesn't got time for you. No, 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 hold on. You're going to make a mess. Like, no, get away. You, you got a little snot all over your face. Like you got crumbs. Like, no, 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 no hold, on, hold on. Don't bring your kids to Jesus. No, no, no. He's very busy. You know, Jesus has a, a very tight schedule for today. And so he doesn't really have time for the kids that are going to come up here right now. No, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on. You cannot bring them up here. Like what? If they say something inappropriate or weird or strange, like we can't get them up here in front of a crowd. Like what if, what if they just distract people and they just start to rebuke people and just push the kids away? And I can just see Jesus standing right there. This is in the Bible, but I can just see him standing there and his blood starts to probably boil. He's like, what did I just say to you? And then Jesus turns to them and he says, let the little children come to me. And do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. See, this story was so important, and Jesus obviously wanted us to see it and to learn it and to understand it so clearly that it isn't just found in one gospel account, but it's found in three gospel accounts. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record this story, all record Jesus' words, word for word. It's as if God was like, hey, this is a priority this really, truly matters, and I don't want you to get it twisted or mixed up. And did Jesus really say that? No, I'm going to put it in there three times, word for word. Let the children come to me. And so Jesus makes it crystal clear. I love kids. And so if you're taking notes, I want you to write this somewhere that you're not going to forget it. I want you to just write this down in big, bold letters. And every time we talk about kids up here, I'm going to ask you to write it down. I just want you to write, Jesus loves kids. Jesus loves kids, and you'll need that one day, I promise, because if you've ever changed a blowout diaper at 3 a.m., you need a little reminder, Jesus loves kids. If you've ever been trying to feed a child dinner, and they just decide to flip their plate over on the table, you need this reminder, Jesus loves kids. If you've ever been speaking to a child, and you ask them to do something, and they just look you straight in the face, and they say, no. You need this reminder that Jesus loves kids. He says, let the children come to me and do not hinder them. And so as disciples of Jesus, there are things that we do and things that we don't do. And Jesus makes it clear right here. Disciples of Jesus don't look down on kids. They lift them up. Disciples of Jesus, they aren't worried about kids being a distraction. They long for them to disrupt any religiosity that's within our hearts. Disciples of Jesus don't put a cap on a kid's potential. They get on their level and then they place them on platforms. Disciples of Jesus don't put barriers or stipulations on kids coming to Jesus. They don't rebuke. They remove barriers. And then they build bridges to get kids to the feet of Jesus.
And so if we want to be a church that experiences the blessings of God, then we've got to be a people that do everything we can to get as many kids as possible to the feet of Jesus. See, one way that we're going to ensure that we're a church that never dies is to make sure that we're full of a room of people who had just been born, i.e. babies. We want to have a lot of babies. See, in every space that we look at as a potential location for our church, one of the first questions that we're asking every single time is where are our kids going to go? Where are our kids' environments going to be? How can we have the best environments as possible for our kids to encounter Jesus? We are a church that has been committed from the very beginning to do whatever it takes to reach young people in Jesus' name. And we're willing to change. So that means, like, if there ever come a t- comes a time where the style of music that we play is out of date and young people today are like, Ugh, I don't really like that, you know what's going to happen? We're going to change the style of music. And we're all just going to agree right now, we're not going to be that church that says, no drums, no drums. Because you know what happens then? Churches die and they stop reaching young people. And so we're going to be a church that's always committed to adapt and to be able to reach young people for Jesus. And so if it means we got to get on the TikToks, we got to get that latest app, whatever it is. We're going to do whatever it takes to reach young people for Jesus because our methods, they might change, but our mandate is never going to change. Our mission is never going to change. And we're so confident in that, that we are making disciples who make disciples who make disciples. We're not worried about the music being a little too off. No, no, no. We just want to reach people and we want them to know Jesus. And so why would we invite our kids to come up here for worship? It's because we want them to see this place as their church not just their parents' church? Like, do you know what that did right there in that moment for these kids to come up here and sing alongside you? Like, I don't know about you, but I was getting emotional in that moment, looking around and seeing my kids with their hands in the air, seeing kids worshiping alongside adults in this space. What that did for them is that helped to tear down a barrier where they were like, wait, I'm just not downstairs. I'm, I, I don't have to be confined to this one little room. No, 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 they ha- it just opened their eyes for them to see this place as their church even more. Research shows that humans, they're shaped by the environments that they find themselves in and the experiences that they share. And so we will always be a church that prioritizing having an envi- prioritizes having an environment that shatters the stereotype that church is supposed to be boring. We don't want that to be the case here. Maybe you grew up in church and you just remember being at church counting the ceiling tiles that were up. Maybe you just sit back and if this, these were, you just count the slats of wood in the ceiling because you just got so bored. Maybe you remember being in church and you were just in the corner. No, no, that's not going to happen in this place. We want kids to be actively engaged here in this place. The environments that, that shape them, also the home. We want to do everything that we can to partner with parents to help to disciple kids from a very young age to see discipleship happen in every home and in the church. See, if the church is in an environment that young people feel valued in and loved in, then they're going to look somewhere else to meet that need. And if they don't see Jesus as approachable, then they're going to look to something else that can fill that gap. And if the church doesn't provide engaging experiences for kids to encounter meaning and purpose and love and joy, they're going to look somewhere else to find what their soul is craving. And Jesus said, though, that I came to give you life, true, rich, abundant, satisfying life, life to the full. And this is what we want to point our kids to, not religiosity, not morality, but full life in 
Jesus. Jesus is the who and Jesus is the what that we're wanting to point our kids to. According to Barna, the Barna group, only 6% of adult Christians made their decision to follow God over the age of 18. The prophet Isaiah, he says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Listen, we believe there is a window of time in a child's life that God gives us to reach them for Jesus. And those stats tell a story that the time is now. And so why do you hear us call our kids and students the now generation? It's because if we miss them now, there might not be an opportunity to reach them later. And so waiting till later is how the church gets where it is today, where they just say, oh, we'll let someone else reach them. We'll wait till they're mature enough to let them lead or to put them on a platform. And that's what leads to church doors being locked, buildings being sold, pastors retiring, all while a generation is desperately searching for hope. And so what's our 10-year vision for kids and students? Well, Jesus, he said, let the little children come to me. The psalmist says, one generation shall commend your works to another, and don't let me die until I tell the next generation about your greatness. Jesus and the psalmist knew what they were talking about. According to Barna, like we just read, studies show that 94% of adult Christians made the decision to follow Jesus before the age of 18. There is a clear, critical kingdom window in a person's life, and it's before the age of 18. And so one of the most effective ways for reaching kids and students is camp. We've seen camp lead to more decisions for Jesus, baptisms, and students being called to ministry than anything else. We want to see 100,000 kids and students experience Camp Arrowhead, pause, the escape, and awake now over the next 10 years. The future of the church depends on it. Listen, if you're new to the Elevate City story, we are part of a larger movement of churches in the Atlanta, Georgia area. And one of our visions is to see kids and students experience Jesus at camp. Well, it just happens to be that our Milton campus, Stone Creek, is host Camp Arrowhead, where this summer over 3,500 kids will come and experience Jesus at a camp just like this. There's over 175 counselors that are, that are high schoolers and college students who are mentoring middle schoolers to pour into kids each and every week. Pastor Joey, he was a youth pastor for 10 years, and then I took his job in 2017, but, and then I was a youth pastor at Stone Creek for three years, and three years before that, youth ministry is embedded into our DNA. We love students, and we have seen time and time again, students meet Jesus, encounter Jesus, and their lives be forever changed at camp. Our youth ministry is called Wake, and Wake, we put on uh, three retreats a year. We put on a winter retreat known as Pause. We put on a summer camp known as The Escape and a fall retreat known as Awake Now. And it's at these retreats where kids get to sit at the feet of Jesus and experience more of who he is and who he created them to be. This is what we're sending our kids to because it's there at camp that Jesus does a beautiful work. Did you know that outside of Jesus' birth and outside of the story of Christmas, the only other information that we have about Jesus' childhood are two stories? Two stories. The first is really connected to the birth story. It gives us a glimpse into what happens when Mary and Joseph bring Jesus to the temple at a very young age to dedicate him to the Lord. 
They model for us this idea of parent-child dedication, which is why here at Elevate City, just a few weeks ago, we celebrated a parent-child dedication where parents come alongside the church and they say, hey, we're going to commit together to raise our kid to know Jesus. And it's this beautiful picture that we see all the way back that Mary and Joseph show us. And then the second story is of Jesus as a 12-year-old boy. His parents took him on a trip. They actually take him on a church retreat, if you will. They take him to Jerusalem for the Passover celebrations, and it's at this retreat that Jesus got to sit at the feet of the rabbis and got to hear them teach, and he got to ask them questions, and he got to sit there and learn. And it's there in this story in Luke chapter 2 that Jesus grows in his knowledge and his wisdom and his understanding. Jesus, the Son of God, God in the flesh, went on a church retreat. Well, the funny part of the story is that Mary and Joseph actually forget Jesus at this church retreat. And three days later, they make it back home and they're like, hey, Joseph, you got Jesus, right? And Mary's like, no, I don't have Jesus. I thought you had Jesus. And they lose the son of God for three days. So they venture back to the temple where they had left Jesus and they find Jesus in the temple sitting at the rabbi's feet. And, and uh, uh, Joseph, uh, Jesus' father, Joseph, is asking, hey, where were you? Where were you? And Jesus said to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? It's right here in Luke chapter 2 where we get this glimpse into 12-year-old Jesus. And he says, my father's house. He's saying, my father is the God of the universe, the father, the heavenly father. And I'm in his house learning and sitting at his feet and worshiping him. And so why do we care about getting kids and students to church and to camp? Because it's there that they get to sit at the feet of other disciples of Jesus and learn about who he is and who he's created them to be. Later on in Jesus' ministry, Jesus takes his closest disciples on retreats all the time. And this one story in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus takes them on a trip to Caesarea Philippi. And he starts to ask them questions. And as he's asking them questions, they're asking him questions. And Jesus says, hey, who do people say that I am? And it's here in Matthew chapter 16, while they're on a retreat, that Peter replies back to Jesus and he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him and said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood have not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. See, this revelation happened as they got away on a trip with Jesus. And that revelation led to a revolution that changed the world forever. See, it's at church camp where kids and students are placed in an environment outside of their norms that creates space for them to ask questions that maybe they wouldn't ask on a Sunday night or a Wednesday night or a Sunday morning or at home. And it gives them an opportunity to get away with Jesus and discover who he's created them to be. And so let me ask this by show of hands. How many of y'all ever been on a church camp? How many of y'all have ever been to a church retreat? Wow, praise God. Maybe it was summer camp, maybe it was VBS, maybe it was, y'all remember VBS in the summer? It's incredible. Now I want to ask you, how many of you that just raised your hand would say that Jesus did something impactful and meaningful in your life at that retreat? Raise your hand. Amen. Praise God. See, it was for me, my life was changed forever at a church camp. I was a freshman in high school running from God, trying to do my own thing. When all of a sudden at lunch one day, this girl invited me to this thing called Detour. And I said, are you going to be there? And she said, yes. And I was like, cool, then I'll be there tonight. And 
And so I called my friend. I was like, hey, Nick, uh, have you heard of this thing called Detour? And he was like, uh, yeah, I think so. And I was like, do you want to go tonight? And he was like, yeah, my mom can take us. I was like, cool, let's go. And so the whole way there, we're thinking that we're driving up to this party. And uh, what we thought was going to be this, like, dope party uh, ended up being a church building. And we drive up to this church building, and I was like, I feel like I've been played a little bit. And I remember walking in and realizing that what I thought was going to be this party actually was a party, but a lot different. And it was there at this youth group that I just kept coming back week after week after week. And as I'm trying to run from God throughout my freshman year of high school, God is chasing after me. And because I started to form deep, meaningful friendships at this youth group, I just kept coming back. And as I just kept coming back, I started to realize what I was searching for was a party, but I, what I really needed was Jesus. And throughout this year, this journey, men and women started to pour into me and to show me who Jesus was. And then I got an invitation to come to summer camp. And my youth pastor uh, coerced me into going to summer camp and because I wasn't really for it. I was like, that sounds weird. I don't really want to go. And, but I went. And I'll never forget getting into this big 55-passenger bus and driving down to Panama City Beach, Florida. And the whole way down there, I'm like, what is about to happen? And when we get there, I'll never forget night number one at uh, what's known as Big Stuff Camp. I was there in the back of the room chilling with my friends, just kind of hanging out. When all of a sudden the preacher starts to preach and the music starts to move in my heart. And the Holy Spirit grabs a, a hold of my heart. And I was the kid in the back of the room on night one, two hands in the air saying, Jesus, I'm yours. And it was right there at this summer camp that I made a decision. I said, I want to live for Jesus the rest of my life. And my life was changed forever because I went to summer camp. And because someone cared enough to say, hey, you know what? We're going to budget. We're going to prioritize kids and students going to camp. And it's going to happen. And it was there at camp that my life was changed forever. See, listen, I get that in this room, there's a lot of people that don't have kids right now. But there's going to come a time where you will, and you're going to be as busy as can be, and you're going to have every excuse in the world to not send your kids to summer camp. Maybe there's baseball happening. Maybe there's a soccer camp or a basketball camp or something. Maybe there's a trip or a, a family event going on, and you're going to have every excuse in the world to say, oh, you know what, we just can't make it work. We just can't. I just don't think we can send our kids to camp this year. Let me plead with you here and now to make a decision tonight. To say, hey, you know what? My kids will be at camp. I want to just ask you, if you just be so bold to write in your Bible, write in your journal, say, my kids will be at camp. Because what you determine right now, and if you make that decision right now to prioritize that, I'm telling you, I'm pleading with you. I promise you that what God might do in your child's life at camp could change not just their future forever, but generations forever. That's why we're so passionate about seeing kids and students go through camp and experience who Jesus is. Almost half of teenagers in America today say they feel a persistent sense of hopelessness. Mental health for every teenage demographic is on the decline, and it's no secret that depression, suicidal ideation, and every form of anxiety is on the rise. But in March 2015, Harvard Center on the developing child released a study in which they performed that they concluded that every child who winds up doing well has had at least one stable and committed relationship with a supportive adult. 
the difference can be one adult in a child's life. And so we say this with our leaders, and we're going to say it with our church, that every kid is one caring adult away from experiencing Jesus. That you could be the difference in one child's life. In another study, Harvard, with their human flourishing program, they found that religion and spiritual involvement has a stunning correlation to human flourishing. They said that children who regularly attend religious services and pray frequently are, less, are significantly less likely to suffer from depression, less likely to use drugs, more likely to report higher levels of happiness, higher levels of forgiveness, more likely to volunteer in their community, and more likely to have a sense of mission and purpose. Just a small picture of the impact of what church can do this side of eternity. The clock is ticking, and there's a generation making decisions daily that will impact their future forever. And so as Jesus' disciples, what we aim to do is do everything we can to make sure that kids come to know Jesus, follow Jesus, and lead others to do the same at an early age. I'm here tonight because of people like my pastor John who made me go to camp, but then my friend Matt who in his early 20s decided that he was going to be a part of mentoring and discipling young men and following camp. He grabbed a hold of me and he said, hey, listen, I want to disciple you. And over the course of my high school years and into college, I spent time with Matt and he taught me about the Bible and he helped me walk with Jesus and Matt was there to help me navigate relationships and every time Leslie and I decided to break up, which was a lot. We've been high school we're high school sweethearts, and there was highs and there was lows, and, and finally in college, we are like, we're getting married, and Matt was there every single step of the journey to come alongside us and to help to lead us in that, and he became the best man at my wedding, and he was there to help me understand what it looks like to love my wife like Jesus. I want you to think for just a second, who is it that you had when you were younger that shaped you into the man or woman you are today? Or who is it that you wish you had when you were younger? Jesus, he modeled this with his disciples. The apostle Paul, he had his young protege, Timothy. And he says to Timothy to fan the flame of faith from one generation to the next. So the challenge is, is for you to be who you needed when you were younger. There's a generation that's desperate for someone to believe in them that's starving for someone to support them, and that's ready to be placed on platforms and pushed toward their God-given potential. And so listen, I get that this room is full of people that maybe had someone that invested in them, and maybe you're here and you're like, no one did that for me, Joe. No one did that for me. I didn't have parents that brought me to church or friends that did either, but no matter who you had or didn't have, I bet you can think back now of who you wish you had. And you can choose today to be for them now who you needed back then. See, our job is to be the floor, not the ceiling, on how great the next generation sees our God is. Psalm 71, the psalmist says, Oh God, from my youth you have taught me, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. So even to old age and gray hairs, Oh God, do not forsake me, until I proclaim your might to another generation and your power to all those to come. The psalmist is like, hey, don't let me die, God. Don't let me die until I've told the next generation about the greatness of our God. Don't let me do it. Don't let me step into, the, into eternity until I've told as many young people as possible about your greatness. 
See, where else are children going to hear about the life-saving message of the gospel of Jesus? Where else are they going to experience the power of the Holy Spirit and the call God has placed on their lives? Where else but the church are they going to be discipled to become disciples who make disciples? The church is the hope of the world. And we're hope dealers, one generation to the next and to the next and to the next. And so our vision is to see 100,000 kids and students over the next 10 years experience Jesus at camp. And I could tell you more and more reasons about why camp is important. But instead, I want you to check out the story of the impact camp can have. Hi, my name is John Gibbs, and this is my story. You probably recognize my last name, and yes, Stephen is my dad. And yes, I'm the one you've heard about from the golf cart. If you haven't heard the story, when I was eight years old, I was in a wreck involving a golf cart that left me in a coma for 14 days. I'll tell you about it, but I don't remember. Even though I grew up as a pastor's kid hearing all of the Bible stories and sermons and had thousands of people praying for me and with me, I didn't fall in love with Jesus. I became bitter towards God. I thought he caused my wreck, I thought he put me in the hospital, and I thought he made me sound the way that I do. And despite being constantly surrounded by Jesus and his people, I became apathetic to him and his church. In high school, I went to Wake, Joey and my dad were even my small group leaders, but nothing really stuck with me. I was just going through the motions of my faith and I didn't care. Then in 2017, one of my friends kept inviting me to our pause retreat. I didn't want to go, and I used a basketball game as an excuse as to why I couldn't. But it just kept inviting me and inviting me and inviting me, and I eventually just agreed to go. You know, don't ever underestimate the power of an invitation. And so we showed up late to the first session because of our basketball game, and I walked in as Joey was starting his sermon. That message changed my life. Joey was preaching about how Jesus continually chose Peter, even though Peter continually denied Jesus. It was the first time I felt like I was chosen. And even though I was a senior in high school and I had been to church my whole entire life and heard so many sermons and been to so many Bible studies, it was the culmination of everything I had heard of growing up just finally falling into place. It was like the scales fell off my eyes and I finally understood the power of the gospel. I made the decision to dive headfirst into Jesus. So at Pause 2017, a retreat, I committed my life to following Jesus. I was all in, because pause saved my life. And that same night that I met Jesus, I also met Parker, who I would go on to date for six years, and who I get to marry in two weeks. And shortly after I gave my life to Jesus, I was challenged to read the whole Bible before I graduated high school, which was just in six weeks. I did it, Genesis to Revelation, in six weeks. And the next year, I decided to enroll in the Stone Creek Leadership Development Program as a member of the student team. And it was there I learned video filming and editing under Joe Baker. And after a stint in Nashville and Atlanta, I'm now on staff at Stone Creek as our video content director, which I joined just over a month ago. Camp changed my life. Camp is the place where I met Jesus for the first time. Camp is where I took ownership of my faith. And I want all of our kids at our church to experience Jesus like I did. It was because of people who gave their time, resources, and energy to camp that I was able to have the transformational experience that I did. So 100,000 stories like mine for camp, those stories are for eternity.
That's the power of multiplication. From John's dad bringing him to church from a very young age to a bold friend named Caden Dolmage who just kept inviting him to go on a retreat. To that retreat changing his life forever to a small group leader and youth pastor like Joey. And now John's investing his life into telling people about Jesus through video, through content for the kingdom. And I love how he closes that. He says, those stories are for eternity. Church, when we invest in young people, the stories of transformation that God writes in their lives, they echo in eternity. But did you know that God has been investing in young people to change the world for thousands of years? If you read through the Bible, there's story after story of God grabbing a hold of young people's hearts and using them to change the world. I wanna share just a few stories from scripture. The first is Daniel. God sees Daniel at a young age and as a teenager, the Babylonians took captive of Daniel and they placed him in a three-year Babylonian education. The Babylonian culture was searching to try to stamp out any resemblance of the Israelite identity that Daniel had. But Daniel chose to obey God, to be obedient to God. And as a teenager, Daniel refuses to eat the food that was presented to him because it disobeyed God. He was threatened to die. He was threatened by leaders and the people around him, but he refuses to give in and the Lord rewards him for his faithfulness. And he ends up affecting change and the entire palace shifts their diet because of Daniel's obedience. Daniel rises to the ranks as a leader and he ends up influencing young men like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that stand firm in their faith and obedience not to worship any false gods. And it's there that we see the story of the fiery furnace and God rescuing three young teenagers all from a furnace in a miraculous way. It's there, it's there that we see that Daniel chooses to obey God and gets thrown into a den with lions, but God shuts the mouth of the lions protects Daniel and elevates him in the leadership. We see as you read through the Bible that Daniel was bold. He stand, stood firm and on truth no matter the consequences and he's known as the most righteous person in the Bible next to Jesus. And it all started as a teenager. Jeremiah, Jeremiah was 17 years old when God calls him to the position of a prophet. Jeremiah, he struggled with speaking in public at it because he was so young, but God didn't let that be an excuse for him. He would become one of the most important prophets in the, in the entire Bible. Samuel, he was just three years old when his mother Hannah dedicated him to the Lord and God chose to speak a vision to Samuel when he was just 11 years old. Samuel goes on, to be the prophet that anoints King David and King Saul and King Solomon. David, if you grew up in church, I'm sure you've heard about King David. David was just a young boy when he slayed Goliath. Do you remember he was just a young boy when Samuel goes and anoints him and he was in fact looked over because of how young he was? His father wouldn't even present him to get an opportunity to be anointed as the king. But yet God saw David and he saw his heart. David goes on to rule and to reign, is forever remembered as a man after God's own heart. But it all started when he was just a little boy. 
He was a boy after God's own heart first. Joseph, he was 17 years old. When we read about this young dreamer that God uses, everything that the enemy meant for evil, God spins it for good, and he uses Joseph to save an entire nation, the people of God. Rahab, she was a teenager when she hides the Israelite spies in Jericho, saving them and making a way for the people of God to enter into the promised land. And oh, she also ends up in the lineage of Jesus. Josiah, he became a king of Israel when he was eight years old. And this young man did what was right in the eyes of God. And while he was still young, he chose to return the Ark of the Covenant to the temple. He tore away any false idols that his fathers and generations before him had worshipped. And he said, no, 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 not on my watch. Sin won't hang around while I am king. And so Josiah remained faithful to God and was considered one of the best kings in all of Israel. Joash. Joash was anointed king of Judah at the young age of seven years old. And when he was anointed king as well, the people of Judah rejoiced and he destroyed the temples to the false gods that they had built up. See, oftentimes God will use kids to convict us of the sin that we let hang around. Esther. In her teens, Esther saves her nation. Facing death herself to confront the king, she courageously ends up reversing a law that was intended to wipe out the Israelite people. The culture wanted to remove her people from the planet, but she boldly saved a nation. Mary, Mary was just a teenager, pledged to be married when she receives the news that she'll give birth to the Son of God. God entrusts his very own son to a teenager. See, children are so essential to God's mission for multiplication that God himself comes to this earth as what? A baby. A baby. There would be no cross. There would be no resurrection if it weren't for God choosing to humble himself and to come to earth as a baby, born to die, born to save, so that you and I might live. Babies, kids, students, young people have always been critical to God's mission to multiply. Jesus left his ministry, his plan for multiplication, his his message, his mission in the hands of who? Teenagers and young adults said, here's my church. See, the most important thing in the world to Jesus was his church, and he placed it in the hands of young people. Every day you can look around, you can turn on the news, and you can see a world that is in need of being changed, a world that is in need of experiencing Jesus. And I'm just here to tell you tonight that if you want to change the world, start by changing one child's world. Start by investing in kids. Start by pouring into the now generation. Start by saying, hey, you know what? I'm gonna sow seeds of generosity into this place, believing that 100,000 kids and students are gonna meet Jesus over the next 10 years. That's worth investing in. That's worth signing up to serve for. That's worth giving my life to say, hey, you know what? That is a life that matters, worthy of the kingdom. Say, Jesus, you said kids, they're great in your kingdom. Well, I want to be great, and I want to pour into them to see your kingdom expand and to see your kingdom grow. We got a job to do. 
to serve, to give, to step into the mission of multiplying little disciples that change the world forever. I wanted to write down some of what we see in this generation. We see a generation that's on fire for something that's different from this world. We see a generation that's looking for something stable when everything else in this world is shaking. We see a generation that's desperate for absolute when everything else is abstract. When the world is telling them to look within themselves, we see a generation looking to Jesus. We see a generation that believes in the inerrant word of God, that believes that the word does not return void. We see a generation that believes that there is only one way, one way that will never compromise on conviction. We see a generation that will lead revival and awakening in our lifetime and beyond. That's what we see happening in the now generation. And that's why we wanna invite you to be a part of a mission that's bigger than yourself. I'm gonna close with this, Psalm 78. The psalmist, he writes this. He says, give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open up my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and of his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob. He appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments.